This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Peter is a, a key figure in the uh, in the Book of Acts, in the advancement of the gospel. Uh, he was involved in the spreading of the gospel and the preaching and confronting unbelievers. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And I think at the time of saying this, Peter would have had no idea of what Jesus was leading to in that. He was uh, still, at least at that stage, a, a, a timid, well, at least at that stage in, in fear uh, concerning the, the Romans and the Jewish authorities. And this is the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples concerning what was going to happen before he was taken up to heaven. Peter is responsible from that point, uh, some days later, for the preaching to the Jewish crowd on the day of Pentecost. He and John were used by God in the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate. Thousands were converted through their preaching. He had word of knowledge. Uh, We saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. He withstood the pressure of persecution by Jewish leaders. After Philip preached the word among the Samaritans, Peter went and strengthened them in the word. He prayed for them to receive the Holy Ghost, which they did. All of this leads up to Acts chapter 10. It's a a dynamic life and ministry. And in Acts chapter 10, we find a great encounter of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And who is mixed up in that? It's Peter again. Cast your mind back a little bit to an earlier event in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is with the disciples. Miracles have taken place. Thousands have been fed with a little. And the Pharisees have constantly been confounded by Jesus' teaching. And we just read of of one of the encounters in which Jesus clashed with the religious leaders. And in Matthew chapter 16... We get this in, uh, record in verse, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And that's the very confrontational question, isn't it? Because in our day and age, we've got a generation of religious people who 
in many cases, will deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, deny the deity of Jesus Christ, deny his death and resurrection. And those are fundamental to who we say Jesus is. So in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, or the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's interesting because, of course, we know that in Islam they specifically state that God has no son in the earth. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. This is a revelation, Simon. Verse 18, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, which means a, a small stone or a pebble or a piece of a rock, and upon this rock. And so the words that Jesus uses there are Petros and Petra. Thou art Petros and upon this Petra. And this is, this is the portion of scripture that the Roman Catholics use to talk about Peter being the first pope, which is kind of a strange doctrine to build out of this, especially given that Peter was married and had family. But aside from that, uh, but also it's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what he's alluding to. He's saying, listen, you're a chip off the rock. You're a, you're a part of the story. But upon this rock, and what was the rock? That in the context of it, the rock was the revelation of who Jesus is. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is, you know, the whole St. Peter at the pearly gates thing and all that from which have come thousands of jokes, basically, in, the, in this day and age in which we're in. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Well, some interesting theologies have come out of this passage, and uh, you know, especially relating into, as we mentioned, Roman Catholicism and the papal authority and the the keys that uh, of authority that they claim to have, all of which is uh, wrong, Uh, and then. Uh, the modern teachings of binding and loosing that have been taken out of their context have come out of this as well. Now, we can see that Jesus was not relaying to Peter a a seat of divine power as such. He's commissioning Peter into a divinely appointed office, a function that he would have. And that function would be tied into what followed from Acts chapter 1 with the infilling of the Holy Spirit that came upon him and the power of God that moved upon Peter 
in the proclamation of the gospel in the New Testament church. Well, that's an interesting passage in Matthew chapter 16 and then, you know, just a little bit later you get in Matthew 18, the disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest and uh, they're disputing over all of that, all this kind of stuff. So these were by no means at this stage highly polished and refined men of God at this point in time. But this is the great thing about how God works in your life. Because God takes you as moldable clay and he shapes you and if you are resistant to that, he might just punch you down again and shape you again. And he does a bit of that until he forms and fashions you into a vessel that is fit for his use. Now I believe that Jesus was giving authority and honour to Peter for a particular task for the New Testament period in which Peter was involved in that we'll see in just a moment. And we we need to understand that this is about Peter's mission to unlock the gospel to the Gentile world. Acts 14 says, And when they were come, they had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he, how God, had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. All right. So it was Peter who first brought the gospel message to the Jews on Pentecost and then also again to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. This was the opening of the door of faith to the Gentiles. And though Philip first preached to the Samaritans, it was Peter who prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 verse 24, and we'll get to Acts chapter 10 in a sec. Wherefore the law, now this is, this is a really good verse for you to learn and to study and understand this passage because this passage really undermines legalism uh, and this is written by a Jewish legalist who got converted. Okay. Wherefore the law, verse 24, Galatians 3, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that... Or we could say that then we might be justified by faith. As one man said, the law of God can bring you to the cross and no further. It can't take you any further. Verse 25, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. You see what Paul says here to these Galatian believers, the law was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, brings us that far so that we might be justified by faith. After that's happened, after faith has been exercised, we're no longer under the schoolmaster anymore. For you are all the children of God, by how? By the schoolmaster? By legalism? No, by faith in Christ Jesus. 
This is probably one of the top issues for believers to get their heads around. Every time you feel an inclination that you can somehow be more pleasing to God through legalistic observance, remember that it's Christ who pleased God and it's being found in Christ that makes you pleasing to God. Verse 27, Galatians 3, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, that's not water baptism, that there is immersion into Christ, being placed into him by faith in Jesus Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. It is this message of salvation by grace through faith that Peter was responsible for unlocking to the Gentiles initially. And this is why I believe that Jesus described Peter's mission as having the keys to the kingdom because Peter would be involved in unlocking the gospel message firstly to hard-hearted Jews, then to outcast Samaritans, and then out to the Gentile world. And that message through and through is a message of faith in Christ. So let's have a look at this encounter, Acts chapter 10, as we think about how God prepares the human heart. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Sounds like a a rock and roll group or something, the Italian band. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he had looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He, uh, he shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here is the encounter coming up between Peter and these Gentile people. But we can see that God is preparing this man's heart. And there's something of inquiry in this this man, he's praying to God, he's wanting to search out God and he's benevolent in a kind way, giving 
and, and generous, uh, seeking to be kind, seeking to give and do these things. There are many people like this man, people who are not religious but are not saved, whose hearts are tender in a manner and are seeking. But there are essentially only two types of religious people. This man was a religious man and he fits into one of these categories. There are the self-righteous religious type, those who seek to justify themselves by their good works. They will tell you about everything they've done and when you ask them if they're a good person, they'll say, yes, I'm a good person. I go to church, I fast twice a week, I pay my tithes. Sounds like a certain man who went to the temple to pray. That's one type of religious person. They boast of their religious affiliations and of their achievements and the things they've done. The other type is the humble type of religious person who is not specifically working for their salvation, but they are trying to do something that would be pleasing unto God. They're doing something because they think it is the right thing to do by God. This type is always questioning whether their effort is pleasing to God. They're they're searching out their hearts. They're examining where they're at in their lives. Notice that the angel says to to him, to Cornelius, that when you send for Simon Peter, he will tell you what you should do. Most religious people are not like Cornelius. They are not going to be told what they should do. Most religious people know what they should do at least if you ask them. Their heart is not humble. And this is an indication that Cornelius had a humble heart before God because he was in a position where instruction could be brought to him so that he could do what was pleasing to the Lord. Acts 11, verse 13 says, And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell you words whereby you and all your house shall be saved. This clearly shows that Cornelius knew that he wasn't saved, that he needed salvation. And I believe if you would remain humble before God, that God would lead you to some Corneliuses in your life, that he would bring you across Corneliuses, people who are humble and searching in their lives that you can encounter and you can bring the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, salvation by grace through faith so that they can be saved. Not everyone in Cranbourne is hard-hearted. Not everyone out here is hard-hearted. There are people who are searching. There are people who are broken. There are people who have had tragic upbringings. 
and are caught in lifestyles of sin, pleading to get out of it, but don't know how. And apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're not going to know how. But look at what God was doing in Cornelius' life, preparing him. How great and how gracious is God. Amen. Although Acts is not a doctrinal letter as such, it is a demonstration of doctrine. You see the outworking of what these men believed and it's shown in what they did. This is what we need in our lives, is that doctrine would, would infect our hearts not in a way in which it's just a, a head thing, but something that affects us in such a way that we live it out in our community. Now, not only was God preparing this unsaved man, but also God was preparing Peter as well. Let's go on Acts chapter 10, verse 9. On the next day, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on, upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. This is his legalism at work. And the voice was uh, spake unto him again the second time, what God has cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he who you seek. What is the cause whereof you are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that fears God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear the words from you. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him and the next day, after they have entered into Caesarea, uh, and Cornelius waited for them, and he had called together his kinsmen and near friends. It's a, it's a phenomenal 
occasion. And so while God is in the process of preparing Cornelius' heart, he's also preparing Peter's heart. Because God is moving Peter from this prejudiced state, this anti-Gentile way of thinking, to a place in which he's going to be able to not only proclaim the gospel, but then understand that Gentiles are getting saved. I want to urge you to be very careful concerning how you speak about Islamic people. Because wouldn't it be more like God to prepare you and I to be vessels to take the gospel to Islamic people, see bro, see joy, to take the gospel to Islamic people, then for us to be involved in spewing out hatred about them. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying at all. Uh, Islam is a cult. Uh, it's responsible for much violence. Its teachings are sending people into a, an eternity of destruction. It's an oppressive religion. All kinds of things. We could be here all day talking about that. But not just Islam. Hinduism is a bondage of a religion that binds people into it. Isn't it more likely that God would desire to change our hearts and prepare us to be ambassadors for the gospel, that we can take the gospel to people such as that, people trapped in religions such as Islam or Hinduism, or people just in the bondage of their own sin and their own culture? How could Peter take the key to the kingdom of God, the the key to the door of faith, if you want to put it that way, if he was to hold on to a prejudice about those Gentile people. How could he do that? He couldn't. And so God was preparing his heart. How can Christians effectively evangelize Islamic people if we do not genuinely love them? Mark chapter 7 says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say unwashed hands, they found fault. And they challenged him on the tradition of the elders and, uh, you know, how come your disciples are not walking according to the tradition of the elders? Down to verse 6, Jesus answers and he says, Well has... Isaiah prophesied to of you hypocrites, as it is written, that this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. However, how be, how be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Why is it your disciples are not honouring the tradition of the elders? Jesus is pointing out that you are teaching these Commandments from men as doctrine. This is where Jesus was starting to seed the hearts of his disciples about salvation by grace through faith was right back in Mark chapter 7. 
preparing them that the gospel was going to go out and it wasn't about legalism. You're not going to be saved by the following of the law. Read through all of that in Mark chapter 7, right on down through uh, verse 23. It's a powerful, powerful encounter which shows Jesus in this work of confronting the human heart and showing the legalism of the Pharisees. You know, you and I are a constant work of God's grace. He's not done with you yet, beloved. He's not finished with you. He desires for you to work in his kingdom or or be a work of his grace for the work of his kingdom that you and I can take the gospel out to other people. He's refining your heart. And there are people that you can reach that I'll never be able to reach. There might be older Filipinos that you can talk to who who don't speak English and you can talk to them in Tagalog and and bring the gospel to them or or Indian people that you can reach that I can't speak to and and others can't speak to and Aussies that maybe I can reach and uh, reach that you can't reach because of uh, because of cultural differences whatever it may be it doesn't matter the issue is that God is preparing your heart now. In this life, he hasn't finished. You're still a work of his grace for the continuation of the gospel. And praise God for that. What that means is you're not there yet. I think it was the RACV ad or something, wasn't it? Are we there yet? We're not there yet. You still have this journey to continue on. God is still working in your life and developing you, preparing you. And who knows what encounters God may bring you into, as he did with Peter. This was a very proud Jewish man. He wasn't going to, of his own self, take the gospel to Gentile people and certainly wasn't going to believe that they would get saved. But God did a work in his heart to convert that man who'd already been saved and converted, but now his thinking was being changed. Why is that? Because God hadn't finished with him yet. And he hasn't finished with you yet. We're not there yet. There might be some things that you are holding on to, ways of thinking, that God might be in the process of breaking down so that he can change that way of thinking, so that he can open your heart up to other people. I found myself going through a a time in my Christian walk where I was very hard on a group of people. I would say disparaging comments about those people it wasn't a it wasn't a cultural group it's a, it, it's a group within society so it wasn't an ethnic group and so i would say 
disparaging things and and then one day God began to convict me that how could these people be one to Christ when there was such hate coming forth from my mouth and that hate from my mouth was a, was an evidence of what was going on in my heart because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and so I had to repent and lo and behold out on the street then many times I got opportunities to witness to that that very class of people and share the gospel with them and show love to them and in my job then would go on to work with many of them in the employment situation. And I praise God that he worked on me, that he had to break my stubborn heart on this issue because God hasn't finished with us yet. He hasn't finished with you. Praise God for that. Who knows? Who knows who God could reach through your life? Like that humble, I believe it was, a shoe salesman who reached D.L. Moody. Who went on to reach a quarter of a million people for Christ in a day without the internet, without even really electricity and stuff. Who knows what God can do through your life? Imagine this centurion. This is a man of influence within the the military world and he's a highly respected man, the scripture says. His men respected him. This is one man that, that through Peter's heart being changed by this work of God that God was doing and Peter responding in obedience to that. Peter, go with these people. Nothing doubting. Go with them. You're going to teach someone. What a, a, an amazing blessing this story is because we see change in Peter's heart and we see change in his life. This is a man in the midst of his journey with God. From here to here, he's in the midst of it. And at this point in time, God takes Peter's heart and, and he's working on it and he's changing Peter's heart. And you might be able to think of times, if you think back to times in which God had to change your heart. I've spoken to husbands who their hearts had become hard to their spouse or hard towards their children and God had to work in their hearts to help them soften their hearts. Totally unrelated to this issue of evangelism in that sense but still related to this issue of how God can change your heart. Imagine if Peter had gone to Cornelius with his Jewish prejudice. You know, Cornelius would have been so confused, like, you know, well, an angel told me to send for you. Why are you telling me all this legalistic stuff? He would have been so confused. But instead, Acts 10.43 records that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive the remission of sins.
he could not have preached that. Peter could not have preached that with sincerity unless he was brought to this place of believing that to be true. And, and at this point, he's probably getting this revelation about Abraham, the father of the faith, the father of faith. I love how God says to him, arise and go down, go with these men, nothing doubting, for I have sent them. The word doubting there means, without making distinctions, it means this idea of don't have this oscillation between, is this the will of God? Why is God sending me there? Go confidently, this is where I'm sending you. If you ever ask yourself the question, does God want me to witness to this person? You know? Nothing doubting, man. Nothing doubting in that. Seriously. That question is answered already. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. That question is answered. So when you go, don't doubt that God can use you. But also... Be open to God changing your heart because I am so thankful that God really did a work to change my heart. It was hard towards people and this is some years back now and I I praise God. I still view the lifestyle of these people as a, a very sinful lifestyle. But God has changed my heart toward them uh, you know, which gives me opportunity to share the gospel with them, where before that opportunity was shut off, not by them, by me. And that's entirely to my shame. God is in the process of changing you all the way to eternity. Amen. Moulding us and shaping us, as Romans 8.29 says, into the image of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So God prepares the human heart. He prepares the unsaved. He also prepares the saved. And we can see that in this place. I would encourage you that you pray and ask the Lord to prepare people in your encounters with him, that he would prepare people to be able to receive the message that God will give you for them. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you go nothing doubting? Praise the Lord. And where would you go nothing doubting? What if God started stirring you about going onto the mission field? You know, there are plenty of opportunities. Could be New Guinea, India, Timor. What if God started preparing you? China, Vietnam. There's a place that's opening to the gospel more and more all the time. If God would prepare your heart, then you can go nothing doubting. And it could be for one person. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's. That's all I have for you here this morning. I'd encourage you to study Matthew chapter 16 because I believe that the book of Acts gives us this answer to what the keys to the kingdom are um, out of uh, Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said to Peter, I give to you the keys to the kingdom. I believe it's tied into God using Peter to take the gospel out through the Jewish and ultimately to the Gentile people and, and it's, it's as simple as that. Um, it's not that Peter gets any decisions on who enters and who doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven. So, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our Father, we thank you this morning. We praise you this morning. And we love you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for the records of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that within the record of Scripture we have this life of Simon Peter, a very imperfect life, Lord, but one that is so encouraging to us as we see you using him mightily despite his many failings at various times. We praise you for this, Lord, for it gives us hope that you might also use us Use us, Lord, to spread your word and to make disciples. In Christ's name, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.